Turn to Psalm 139. Turn to 139, Psalm 139. Put something in there. Mark your place right there. And then I want you to turn in the New Testament to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We're going to spend a little time uh, there in, in John 18, part of 19, in looking at that. Um, do we have the slide up there? Can we put the slide up, Jesse? I will... All right, that's that. I wish that worked. That the pointer does not. Y'all can't see that on there, can you? Okay, so you see it there, but not there. All right. Anyway, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. The title of the message today is Gabbatha, my Gabbatha, and you'll understand as we go along. But I want to share with you this morning. So, so when we go to these different sites, we have the opportunity. Some of us have opportunity to give devotions at sites. This is one of the sites I was able to give a devotion at. And, and it didn't make, that's not what made this one of my favorite sites, but somebody asked me this morning, what were your favorite sites to go to? One was Magdala, which was a village just, just recently discovered. In the last 10 years, it's been discovered and then excavated. It wasn't even there the first couple of times. They hadn't even found it yet the first couple of times I was over there. But there's every reason to believe that Jesus was there. First century synagogue. We know that up in that area around the Sea of Galilee that the Lord spoke in those synagogues regularly, speaking of the kingdom. And, and so we have every reason to believe he would have been right there. It just makes it special to go to a place like that. Well, this is another spot. This, this is an area right outside of, of um, the walls there in Jerusalem. And it's a place called Gabbatha. And we'll look at what Gabbatha means here in a little bit. But I want you to get an idea of where it is. So if, if you're looking at, at, at this, the old city of Jerusalem with the walls around it, you're familiar with the Dome of the Rock. You've all seen the Dome of the Rock, the Eastern Gate. That's over on the right side where it says Golden Gate, if you can make that out. But the Temple Mount, that area is where the temple would have been when Christ was there. The Muslims have built that dome over there just, just out of, really out of spite, if you want to know the truth. But, but so, so you have the Wailing Wall there. But just to the right of that, of the right of the city, there would have been the Kidron Valley, where the, the, the river ran through there, the Kidron Valley. You've read that in scriptures. You've seen it. Then a, a, across from that, that valley there is the Mount of Olives, where the, the Garden of Gethsemane was. Those things are taking place over there on the right side. Now, where we're looking at is in that lower left-hand corner. I mean, really right in this area here is where we're, 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 uh, where we're talking about what, what went on here. And we're, we'll get through this. But I want you to get the kind of geography. So what there is, there's a gate there that they've discovered. And they only discovered it since the 70s because before the 70s, and I'll, I'll show you in the pictures, everything was covered up. They, hadn't even, they didn't even see this at the time. But there was a wall there that had been built. And they, the, the, the wall that's on the outer, that outer wall, you see how that kind of juts in? Then there's an outer wall. Now, the outer wall had been added later, but that stuff's not even there anymore. Very little of that is left. But what is left, you see in the, in the these stones that are coming out this way, was part of the walkway that you see leading up to everything from lower coming up higher. Okay, it says, so the Ottoman city wall is sealed, but the steps adjacent to it reveal a secret. They allude to the existence of a gate or postern in the city wall from the time of the second temple. Presumably, this gate led to Herod's palace, which was located nearby. Okay, so when you when you look at this, there's the, there's the area of the city wall where that 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 site is located. You can see it, it, kind of the stones that are running this way. It was part of a walkway that led up there, and there was a gate there. 
They didn't even know this gate existed till, like I said, in the 70s when they excavated down. And so just on the other side of the wall, up there where it says Pilate's judgment seat, all of that area up in there would have been Pilate's palace. It would have been uh, uh, Pilate's, Pilate's palace, Herod's palace. All of those things were in that area, just on the other side of the wall. Okay. Then we came, this is a model that they have there in Jerusalem, a scaled model. It's a big model. You walk around it. But you can see here, that would have been Herod's palace or Pilate's palace there. And, and it's just on the other side of the wall. And we see there's no gate indicated there because, again, is the time when they built this model they had not discovered that gate. It was all covered with dirt. Now we get to this picture here. Maybe you can make out. Do you notice how the stones are, are, uh, are dark? See how they're lighter and darker, the line that goes across there? Is, can you all see that? Okay. So what you have is up until the 70s, up around where those slits are in the wall, what, dirt was all the way up to there. That had not been excavated. But as they began to excavate it, it revealed all of this. And what it has revealed is that there's a lower stone pavement over there to the right. They see the pavement stone. So you know there was actually a landing there that was paved in that lower area. Then you go over a little bit to the left. It said door to Pilate's palace. There are some stones that are, that are Herodian temple Stones. They go all the way back to the time of Christ, and when Herod's temple was there, the second temple was there, it, it, that leads in. Now, there's not a gate there, but the stones that are there are not the original stones that would have been there. It's been filled in. That has been filled in. So there was, at one time, a gate there. Then you come over to the, the left, you see there's a place, a raised, an elevated area that would have been Pilate's judgment seat, where Pilate would have come out. He would have sat. The Bema seat would have been there. And from that point, he would have, have judged or talked to the people. This area out here would have been where the people would have stood. And, uh, and then there's an, actually an upper stone pavement there as well. So what we're going to look at this morning is when Jesus was judged, when, when he was taken before Pilate and he was judged. Now I want you to have this picture, because that's an artist's rendition of that area of what it would have looked at at that time. Pilate up there to the left. Maybe that's Christ that was drawn there, standing there in the judgment, being judged, or someone being judged. And the people are out here. They're down lower where Pilate can speak to them. But you can see how a crowd, in, in the pictures we already showed, how the crowd could be out there. And so with that as our backdrop, then I want us to look this morning at, uh, at what was going on there in John chapter 18. So if you're there in John chapter 18, we're just going to read through this. I'll, I'm just going to basically read through about a chapter and a half. I'll commentate a little bit, and then we'll get really into the heart of the message here. But uh, I know Aaron prayed, but I want to pray now. I need to calm down. <laughs> I need to pray. Lord, thank you, for, thank you for the morning. Thank you for what we've already heard. Thank you for the songs of praise we've sung. And Lord, we're just, uh, I'm, just, I, I just, I'm, I'm just thankful. I'm, ex I'm excited, God, about what you've shown us in your word, uh, what you have for us this morning. And Lord, what you've done in my heart, even through these passages and through this site that we visited. Uh, so, Lord, I pray that you'll just speak to us this morning. Give me clarity in thought and in my speech and, uh, and guide me, Lord. Uh, don't allow me to say anything outside your will, but guide my thoughts, Lord. And I pray you'll use this message, Lord, in each heart uh, of every person here, Lord. What, 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 whatever's going on in our life, I pray, Lord, that we'll be drawn closer to you uh, through this. Lord, use it. Move. Bless, have your will and way, and we'll praise you and thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, John 18, beginning in verse 1 there, it says, When Jesus 
had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the Brook Kidron. We talked about that over on the right side, over on the eastern side of the city, the Brook, Brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, uh, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they, they drew back and fell to the ground. The power of his word in that moment is amazing. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their ways, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those, uh, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the, then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officer, officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Now I want you to think about just some things as we go along. Interesting right there that Peter was so quick to draw his sword. In the flesh, he was so quick to draw the sword. So quick to want to fight when it comes to something that's of the flesh. Aren't we like that? Now we're going to read here in just a moment, Peter, when it comes to the spiritual side, when it comes to just standing for who Christ is, he, he, he backed down. Man, and men, that's, that's a word for us maybe more than the ladies. Well, we're quick to want to fight. We're quick, oh, I'll fight. But when it comes to the simple things, when it's just a spiritual standing for the Lord, something that simple, Peter was a coward. Well, quick to draw the sword. But when it comes to the spiritual side, he really lacked in, the, in that way. Verse 13, and they led him away to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known of the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke of, uh, to her who kept the door and brought Peter inside. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, Are you not also one of, the men's, of, of this man's disciples? Are you? He said, I am not. Amazing. Draws the sword right back here and now denying that he even knows who the Lord is. We can do it in our hearts in a heartbeat. We look down on Peter, but I've highlighted some of these things in red because I say that's what we do. It's what I do. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, that, that uh, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers stood by, who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. Again, that, that's the kind of thing we could do. I, I've highlighted that red because that could be me. And I so quickly want to run my mouth and, 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 and do something in defending God 
And yet I'm, I'm slapping the Lord right in the mouth when I, when I say that or when I do those things. And, and, they, and they thought they were doing the right thing and they struck our Lord with his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do, uh, do you strike me? Verse 24, then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, you are not also, or, or, you are not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not, twice. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Now, Peter knocked his ear off. I think he would remember who that was. Did I not see you? Come on, really? Uh, verse 27, Peter then denied again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Verse 28, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. Now, uh, according to, to the history, I want you to understand this as we go. According to the, 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 what they're learning today, the whole thing you've heard of the Via Dolorosa so much of that is just tradition. We went to several of those sites. I, I don't even care to go to those sites because it's, they went in there. They said, where did maybe this happen? And there's no real scriptural reason for things to be there. And some of it doesn't make sense at all. But it absolutely makes sense that this is the place that this was going on. When it talks about going into the praetorium, that would have been just inside. On the other side of that door, inside there would have been this praetorium. And so that's where they bring him. Um, so they led Jesus from, from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now, the Jews would not have gone in that way. They would not have gone in there because there was idols all in there. Again, this is the, the Romans. They have idols everywhere. The Jews would not have gone in at this time because they would have defiled themselves. So again, it makes sense that this would be the location. Verse 29, Pilate then went out to them. He comes out there to his seat. He comes out to, the, to the, the, that judgment seat area where he stands and he talks with them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Verse 33, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, I, am I a Jew? Your, your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, Now listen, interesting Pilate's take here. I find no fault in him at all. 
That was Pilate's take. That's where Pilate came to, is I don't find any fault in this man. I don't see any reason to do what y'all are wanting me to do to him, but we'll see what happens. Now, now you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Again, I've highlighted that in red in my notes, because that's the kind of things we do. No, 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 I don't, we don't want Jesus. I want this or I want that. I want, I, want, I want what I want. I don't want Jesus. I want what I want in this. Now, Barabbas was a robber, verse nine, uh, chapter 19. Verse 1, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, it just shows you the callousness and the harshness of Pilate. Who, who said, I find no fault in this man, and yet he turns him over to be scourged. And we've studied that before, the, the, the awfulness of a scourging, to have a cat of nine tails. Christ would have been whipped with that cat of nine tails, his flesh ripped from his body. And, he, and, and this is done to an innocent man. This is man I find no fault in, and yet he turns him over for that to be done. Verse 2, and the soldiers, now we can put ourselves in the place of the soldiers, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a, a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They mocked him, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Found no fault in him, but turned him over to be beaten, brutalized. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priest, now we're talking about when he came out, he came out to here. Now he's come out to this area, and, and now the Jews see him, and, they, and they, can, they can interact with Pilate here. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, You take him and crucify him. For I find no fault in him. That's the third time Pilate has said that. I find no fault in him. Then, G, then I'm sorry, the, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, uh, when Pilate heard this, that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Now, now but Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless I had given, it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Pilate wanted to let him go. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now, I'm going to... I'm not trying to be political, but I'm going to just tell you, you go back and read those chapters and look at it through the lens today of what goes on politically. It's the same schemes. It's the same lies. It's the same accusations. It's the same cancel culture. It's the same, you know, you're not on our side, so we'll bash you. We'll just tear you down. We'll tear you apart. And it's, and it's this whole thing. And then it's, well, if you're not a friend, if, if, you're, if you don't do this, then, boy, you're not a friend of Caesar. Well, that's a scary thing for, for Pilate. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. That's the place that we're talking about. It's a site called Gabbatha. 
Now, I want to tell you what Gabbatha means. Gabbatha means the knoll. And it's a common term for this Roman tribunal in Jerusalem. But a couple of other words that Gabbatha means. It means elevated or a platform. And we see that here. We see this elevated platform here. He was brought out. He's brought on this elevated platform in front of all of those people. And Pilate now has to judge him. But he's not judging on base what Pilate wants to do. And Pilate wasn't a righteous judge. He didn't do what was right. He didn't have conviction. He didn't have a backbone. The Jews then call for, for this, and, and Pilate makes this judgment, but he brought him out for this going on. This is the site we're talking about, Gabbatha, all of this judgment there where Jesus was brought out. And then he goes, and Jesus goes from Gabbatha, then he went to Golgotha, which, which the traditional site has it in a whole different place than the site that we as believers today believe this site is, the garden tomb. You saw pictures of it. wouldn't have been that far down this way and around the corner, still outside the city walls. It would have been there, and it wouldn't have been that far. But he was taken, then he went from Gabbatha, he went to Golgotha, and from Golgotha the Lord went to the grave. And uh, he went to the grave for us. But praise God, he didn't stay in that grave. Amen. Jesus rose from that grave. He rose in victory and brought salvation to all that would repent and believe in Jesus Christ by faith. Amen? That's what Jesus did. Now, there's some other things I want to, I want to highlight right here. Matthew 26, verse 62 says, And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it, what is it these men testify against you? Verse 63, But Jesus kept silent. Now, we know Jesus had some conversation with Pilate. But when it came to accusations, when it came to things that were brought against him, Jesus kept silent. Matthew 27, 13, Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. I mean, he wouldn't be used to someone who didn't defend himself, who didn't go, well, I'm innocent. You know, this is wrong. I'm being betrayed. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The Lord never once defended himself. Never once. He never once justified himself. He never once said, this is wrong. I'm, I'm innocent. Uh, not one time did the Lord do that. But Pilate justified himself. Matthew 27, 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? That he, he, he's the one, it was his call. He gave in to the mob, but it was his call. And yet he wants to act like washing my hands up. Uh, you know, we do that, right? We still have that saying today, I wash my hands of this. Pilate tried to wash his hands of that situation, and yet Christ's blood is all over his hands. He tried to justify himself. The Pharisees were always justifying their, him, themselves. In, 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 uh, in uh, Luke 16, verse 14, it says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. 
And later on, they would justify themselves that you know, they, didn't, they didn't do that to Jesus. Today, they would still say, we didn't, we didn't kill Jesus. We didn't have anything to do with that. Um, the lawyer, you remember the lawyer in Scripture in Luke 10, verse 29. He, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? There's that whole discourse and that teaching about loving our neighbor and, you know, well, you know, well, who is my neighbor? He won't justify himself because he doesn't love his neighbor, right? But isn't that, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? The things that, that I'm, not, you know, I'm not fulfilling that I know I'm supposed to do, I, I want to justify it. You know, as I prepared for this, and this was a devotion. I didn't pr- do all of this, but this was, I've expanded this some for today. But it was this devotion that I did there. As I prepared for this devotion, to do this devotion at that site in Israel, and I studied through this, um, I was convicted, strongly convicted. Instead of acting like and following the example of my Lord, you know, I act more like Pilate and the lawyer and the Pharisees. You see, I defend myself. I, I, I quickly seek to justify myself. I want to state my case, you know, of my innocence, how I've been wronged. What a joke. My innocence. You know, my Gabbatha. That's why I call it Gabbatha. Gabbatha, my Gabbatha. You know, my Gabbatha is the place where I'm lifted up, the place where I'm full of me. It's in my heart where I'm the innocent one. And I want to defend myself and I want to justify myself. I want to lift myself up. Now turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. The psalmist says, Lord, you've searched me. You've known me. You've searched my heart. You know me. You know everything about me, Lord. That's what the psalmist said. He acknowledged that of God. But let's look at what he, as he says, as he goes through this, he knows what I do, verses two through six. He says, you know, Lord, you know my sitting down and my rising up. Lord, you comprehend my path and my lying down. You know where I went today. You know when I lie down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. The Lord knows. He knows when I get up. He knows when I lay down. He knows where I go. He knows every word I say. You have hedged me behind and before. Lord, you go before me and you go behind me and laid your head, uh, hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The Lord knows what I do. He knows where I go. Verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Verse 8 says, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If if I take the wings of the morning and, and fly off and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I'm out at the sea, if I'm out in the middle of the sea, you're there. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. There's nowhere 
There's nowhere, folks, that we can go. So he knows everything that we do. He knows everywhere that we go. He sees everything. He knows what I am, verses 13 through 16. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. The Lord knew that. The Lord knows everything about us. Why is it that we act sometimes like, Lord, we we get this thing, Lord, where are you? Lord, did you not know about this? Folks, he knows everything about this. I will praise you, the psalmist says, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet they they, they were none of them. That speaks to life in the womb. Amen? We talk about dealing with life and pro-life issues today and people that want to say that, that it's not life till it comes out of the womb. Folks, that's hogwash. Scripture is very clear. We were formed and He formed us in the womb. He knew us in the womb. He knowing, and see then knowing all, uh, all that about me, He still thinks about me. His love for us. Verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. He knows what I love and what I hate. Verses 19 through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, that hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them as enemies. The Lord knows what I hate. He knows what I love. God had already searched the psalmist. And already knew his heart. God has already searched me. And he already knows my heart. But look what the psalmist prays here at the end of of this this, uh, psalm. Verse 23. The psalmist who says, you've already searched me, Lord. Look what he says. He prays, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Now, you want to pray a prayer that God will answer? Pray this prayer. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see. See what? And see if there be any wicked way in me. But that's the prayer of the psalmist here isn't for God's sake. It's for his sake. Because look what he says. Then he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's what the psalmist says. God, search me. And know me and show me what you know about me so that I can see me as you see me and fix in me what you know is broken in me. That's what the psalmist was praying. God, you know it. Search it. Try it. Lord, see it and show it to me. Show it to me. Show me the areas that need to be fixed. Lord, lead me in correcting what you find and what you reveal in my life. We defend ourselves against people sometimes, but a lot of times we defend ourselves against God. And the Holy Spirit says, you need to fix this in your life. 
and we justify ourselves. We defend ourselves. We excuse ourselves. I say ourselves. I know that's what I do. Jesus never opened his mouth, and I think about... um, He never opened his mouth in defense. And I think about sometimes it's just better for us to keep our mouth shut. Sometimes when something happens, an accusation comes or a criticism comes, sometimes it would be better if we just shut our mouths. And I think about David in 2 Samuel. uh, Chapter 16, verse 5, it says this. Now when David, King David came to uh, Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei. And what... Shimei did, he came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. Now you understand, King David's there with his mighty men, right? He's walking along, and and all he had to do was say, take his head. And and they would have taken his head. And uh, Shimei goes on, he says, uh, said thus when he, he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Now look what happens. Then Abishai the son of Zeruiah said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, listen to David's response, Why have you done so? And I think what David says here is, Let him speak. Let him speak. Perhaps there's truth in what he says that I need to consider. So folks, for me, I know I'm an insecure person. I just am. I can, I, can, I can tell you exactly why I am. I can tell you where that comes from. But that's not the way that Christ wants me to be. And what I do as an insecure person, or if for some of us, if we're a proud person, we defend ourselves. I don't want to be the defensive person. And sometimes there's criticism and sometimes there's things. And the first thing we want to do is defend ourselves. We want to justify why I did what I did or why I said what I said and how I'm absolutely vindicated in this. And they're wrong for saying that. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person that says, let me consider that. Because there may be truth in that that I need to to listen to. The other part is that, what does God want us to do? What is He, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart What area in our life is he telling us this needs to be fixed? You're this or you're that or you're that. And we justify it. But Lord, I'm in church every Sunday. But Lord, I I read your Bible every day. But Lord, I pray. Lord, I give. I tithe. Lord, I help that old lady across the street. Lord, I did this. I did that. We justify ourselves. When the Lord doesn't want us to justify ourselves, he wants us to follow him as he leads us in righteousness. Pastor Aaron, if you'll come. This morning, we're going to open the altar. We'll have a time to pray. You know where I don't want to be? I don't want to be at Gabbatha because I'm lifting myself up. 
and defending myself. I want to be humble. I want to be like the Lord. I want to be humble. And when the Lord speaks to my heart, I want to say, yes, sir. Yes, Lord. Yes, Father. Thank you. I want to hear it. I want to receive it. I want to respond to it. I want to be obedient to it, to what he does in my life. Maybe this morning, this is a great time as, as, as the, the band's going to play in just a moment. Just a time to reflect, to pray, Lord, search me. Search me. Lord, try me. See, see if there be any wicked way in me. And Lord, lead me in the way of righteousness. Maybe this morning there's something you'll, you'll want to come to the altar and just give to the Lord. This is a time for you. This isn't about the band playing. This isn't about us singing a kumbaya song here at the end. This is time to think about what you've heard and think about what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in your life today. And us not defending ourselves, but responding to His leading. Father God, I pray that you'll move in our midst. I pray, Lord, you have already moved on our hearts and you'll continue to do so. And may we, Lord, listen to you as you seek us, as you try us, as you see if there's any wicked way in us. Then, Lord, lead us and may we humbly follow. May we humbly follow in repentance. May we humbly follow in turning away from those things. May we humbly follow you just obedient to what it is you tell us needs to be corrected, needs to be changed, needs to be fixed. Something that, Lord, maybe we need to stop doing, something we need to start doing. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that we would be obedient to your voice. Lord, would you move in our midst this morning and may we respond to what you are doing in our lives. Now this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you don't know for absolute certainty that you'd spend eternity with Him in heaven if you died today. I invite you to come down. Let me take the scriptures and show you what Christ has done for you and, and how He wants to save you today. Father God, bless now in this invitation.